This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. It's good to be in church. It's good to be with my sisters and brothers. And uh, today, I just believe God's going to do something new. We're at the beginning of a brand new series called Motion. Everybody said Motion. Now, I did not say emotion. <laughs> I said motion. Life is not measured by what you achieve, but by whatever you set into motion. So it's not about the accolades that you get, but the things that you leave behind you. I don't know about you, but I want the things that I do to matter more even when I'm gone than I can imagine. I want the investment that I make in my kids to matter years from now. I want the investment that I make on a Sunday when I get to preach to a room full of people. I want it to keep rolling through life. I don't want it just to be, well, was it a good Sunday or not? It's not just about this moment, it's about the planting that I do. And this is really what Paul was speaking about in Galatians chapter six, which is our foundational text for this series. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Galatians chapter six. I want you to hear what Paul says, starting in verse seven. As he's talking to the church, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This is amazing text, and basically Paul says this. He says you can invest in one of two things. You can invest out of your sinful nature, and you're going to get decay. Things aren't going to go better in the long run. Or you can invest for, I mean, in step with the Spirit, and then you'll reap or harvest life from the Spirit. And if you practice those things in your life, in your business, in your relationships, not just in church, but with everything that you do, good things will occur. And then he says... And don't give up doing the good things. How many know sometimes we just get tired? We've been doing the right thing for so long. We're wondering if it matters. And Paul says, don't give up. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't give up. He says, don't give up. Now, this series, this series is all about forward thinking. And I want to challenge you as a church as we move into the fall. I want you to be forward thinking, not just reactionary to your days. And challenge you to think about setting things into motion in your life. Investing sacrifices, the present, for the things that are ahead. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Hebrews reflects on that. The author does saying, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, I want you to know you will be living in whatever the result is of your investments. If you invest, you're going to live in it. And you, whatever you work on, whatever you do with your schoolwork, teenagers, listen to me. College students, listen to me. Whatever you put in for work throughout this fall will determine what your grade is at the end. Is that fact? That's absolute fact. So you got to begin not just with a, an emotion that you want good grades. You've got to plant some seeds and actually do the work. Turn to the person next to you and say, do the work. <laughs> do the work. That's true with physical bodies and 
working out and nutrition that's true in relationships. If you want a quality marriage, you've got to invest in that marriage. It's true with business. You've got to put the time in. And whatever you invest in, you're going to li- live in the results. But only a seed that is planted will grow when the rain comes. Only a seed that is planted will grow when the rain comes. In other words, the rains are going to come. But if you haven't planted, nothing's going to grow. But if you've been planting, you're like cheering the rain on. Why? Because you planted all, all along. You're ready for this moment. And if you don't, what, what will happen? What will occur if you don't? Today, we're going to address the most basic biblical value of investment in the next generation. We're going to talk about investing in kids and investing in the next generation. And this is for all of us, whether you have kids or not, at whatever stage and season of your own life. I believe the, the, a culture that invests in the next generation is a culture that continues to live, continues to thrive. But the ones that become selfish and only think about themselves, something is missed. Pastor Mark Daniels, the found, founding pastor of our church, he used to say, if you want to stay young, hang out with the young. And then he'd say, and if you want to die young, try to keep up with them. <laughs> Now, helping me tag team this message today is Pastor Mark Harper. He's our lead family ministries pastor, overseeing all the kids' ministry and working with parents across all three of our campuses. Pastor Mark has an illustrious career of investment, decades of investing in leaders and people that will invest in the next generation. And I'm real honored to have him as a part of our team here at Emmanuel, and he continues to do the investing. So I want to kind of do the tag team approach here. It's now your time. Would you give it up for Pastor Mark? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nate and uh, Jody, and it's just an honor to be part of Team Emmanuel. So we're talking about uh, the kingdom of God is always about investing in the next generation. This is one of the things that drew me to Emmanuel, that drew me to Pastor Nate and Jody. There's different things. I love his passion for a house of prayer for all nations. I believe the church should be, you know, heaven, we're not going to have, uh, heaven's not going to be separated by culture and by nation. It's every tongue. It's every tribe. It's every generation. And, and I was looking for a church like that. Uh, and um, I love his vision for Redwood Faith. And, and, but another key part of uh, Emmanuel DNA is the vision for the next generation, and that's what I want to talk to you about today, investing in the next generation. And just, uh, if you spend any time close to God at all, you understand that God is eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So um, what happened 100 years ago for God was like two seconds ago. And he also sees the future. And so, you know, we kind of look at what's popular and what's cool and what's trending and, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, but God's not really thinking about that stuff as much as he sees it all at one time. Uh, and so, for example, where kids are concerned, of, you know, you may look at a three-year-old and say, oh, that's a cute little kid. But God sees their whole life in a split second. He knows their call. He knows the, the plan for them. Uh, and so God doesn't just see a three-year-old, if you will. He sees their whole life. I'm going to share a story with you, a personal story. When I graduated from Bible college, I came home, uh, and one of the first things I did was I went to go visit my grandma. Now, here's a picture of my grandma. 
Uh, my grandma was a pillar of strength to me. Uh, so this is my grandma. The picture on the right was kind of how I picture her. Uh, and the picture on the left was a much younger picture. Interesting how similar the poses are. And those two pictures that are probably 30 years apart. Uh, born in 1906, she passed to heaven in 1987. I'm talking about my grandma because she was a pillar of strength. She was strength in a very challenging world for me. Uh, and I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. In 1965, my mom was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Remember my dad? came home from kindergarten, and, and there were four boys in our family. He sat down and said, your mom's sick. She's in the hospital. You're not going to see her for a while. Now, we didn't know what that meant, but she was at the mental hospital, and we didn't see her for a year. And then when, they got, when she got out, my mom and dad got divorced, and my dad got custody of four boys because my mom just wasn't capable. Because of the illness, she wasn't capable really of being a mom. So very unusual, 1965, for a dad to get custody. But it was my dad and four boys. So at periods of time, it was like a, a giant bachelor pad our home was. And it was, you can imagine how clean it was. Um, uh, and uh, then there was this kind of merry-go-round when my dad got married and divorced uh, three times, and it just was this constant changing world and, and, and just a very difficult situation uh, to, to grow up in. But I could always go to my grandma's house, and things were peaceful. It was a place of safety. She was, she was a pillar. She was a, a strength in my life. And when I um, gave my life to Christ my senior in high school, I went off to Bible college. So I'm coming home, visiting my grandma. She said, I have a gift for you. And she pulled this book off the shelf. Now, my grandma's house was like a museum. She had all these family heirlooms and antiques, and, and some of her books were that way. So she pulls this book off the bookshelf. I didn't know what it was, but it was this book right here. It was printed in 1825, so it's almost 200 years old now. And she said, this is a book written by Andrew Fuller, the complete works of Fuller. And she said he was a Baptist preacher. And I didn't really think much of it. But, and then she pointed to this picture on the wall. So this is what the picture looked like that was on the wall uh, of Andrew Fuller. Uh, and so it was right next to the picture of my grandpa, her husband, Grandpa Cresswell, who I never met. Uh, he passed away when my mom was 12. And right next to him was this picture of Andrew Fuller. And it was there uh, as a child growing up. I saw it, but I didn't know who it was. And she just mentioned, she said, he was your great, great, great uncle. And he was a Baptist preacher, and he wrote these theological works that they still teach in seminary today. I didn't think much about it. You know, I was a young, uh, excited about ministry, but, you know, like a lot of young people, I wasn't really thinking about the old preachers, if you will. Uh, and so um, I put this book in my, uh, you know, my, uh, my box of books and never really looked at it for decades. It was just, it was there because my grandma gave it to me, but I didn't think much about it. But one day I did a Google search for Andrew Fuller, and... I found this book um, that was written by, um, coincidentally, by John Piper about Andrew Fuller. And so I read this book, and there was a story in the book about Andrew Fuller that stood out to me. And the story goes something like this. One of the things that he was known for was starting the Baptist Missionary Society. Uh, and now that may not mean anything, but understand in the early 1800s, the particular Baptist movement that he was a part of were extreme Calvinists. And so they didn't do any missions. 
They had no, they didn't send out any missions. They didn't even go outside the church and share the gospel because they're thinking the only place they preached the gospel was inside the church. So if you can kind of think of like Amish or Mennonites, that was kind of their, their, there was a very inward culture. Their thinking was, well, if God wants to save the heathen, if you will, he will. We don't have to do anything about it. We don't have to send people or resources to other nations. If it's God's will for them to be saved, it's predestined that they'll be saved, so we don't have to do anything. Well, there were some young pastors that got together and said, no, we need to do more than what we're doing. We're called to preach the gospel, and these people haven't heard it. And there was a young, one young pastor named William Carey who became known as the father of modern missions, and he had it on his heart to go to India. And so Andrew Fuller and William Carey and other Baptist pastors met at Andrew Fuller's home, and they started the Baptist Missionary Society. They started talking about going to India and what that was like. And somebody mentioned, he said, I feel like we're standing at the entrance of a mine, like a pit, a dark pit. There's no light down there. And we're, we're trying to f- discover how do we go into this dark mine, and there's no one to guide us. And William Carey spoke up. And he said this, he said, I'll tell you what, brothers, he said, I will go down into the pit. I will go down in the darkness. So he's saying, I will be the one that goes to India. Now, if you understand India at the time, no churches, no Christians. There was Hinduism, there was Islam. uh, And also the commitment to go to India wasn't a a, a short-term missions trip. It was six months by boat to get there. And so for him, it was a commitment of life. He said, I will go down into the the mine, if, if you will, I'll go down into the darkness if you guys hold the rope. And one of the eyewitnesses that was there said uh, that William Carey went around and asked each one of us individually. He got a commitment for us. He said, if I'm going to give my life for India, I need you back here in England to hold the rope for me. And he got a commitment out out of each one of them. And then Piper went on to say in the book that nobody held the rope quite like Andrew Fuller did that he uh, was president of the Missionary Society and went around itinerating in other churches, and he wasn't receiving honorariums or offerings for himself or his ministry, but for his friend, William Carey, who was in India. And he was the primary fundraiser, and he raised up other missionaries and sent other support there, and he did that for the rest of his life. He was compelled to do it, not just to reach those that were far away from God, but his friend, his buddy, was on the other side of that rope. And he wasn't going to let go of that rope. And as I heard this story about William Carey, who was, uh, you know, I would, I'd never heard before, a picture of my grandma came to mind. I thought, this is what my grandma's like. Because I thought about what she did at the point where my mom had her nervous breakdown and went to the mental hospital and how my grandma, who had her own life and all of her friends in New York City, sold her house, shut everything down, moved to Michigan to stand in the gap, if you will, for my mom and and for her grandkids and how she gave up everything she had and how she held the rope. And I think about all the different things that she did for me that I didn't really understand, but she held the rope for us and she was there and she was steady and she was a source of love and encouragement uh, for me. And I, you know, today I'd like to Uh, go to my grandma and and there's so many things that I understand of what she did for me that I didn't understand the sacrifice you know when you're five you don't understand the sacrifices that somebody makes when they lay down their life for you but she held the rope for me and I just want to say this there's people that have held the rope for you 
Regardless of what kind of a family you came from, maybe your parents didn't care for you, maybe it was very dysfunctional, maybe it was multiple uh, divorces or whatever, maybe you came from the perfect family, but regardless of whatever it is, there's people from the former generation that held the rope for you. And we have a responsibility to say thank you to them, but we, we may be able to face to face, we may not, I can't, but there's one way that I can say thank you to my grandma, and, and you can say thank you to the people that held the rope for you, and that's by investing in the next generation. By doing what she modeled for me, and when I lay down my life uh, for the next generation, you know, minister the word of God, and be there for, for other people's kids, that may, they may not understand how important the Word of God is or what I'm doing for them, but I do it because somebody did it for me. And, of course, we all know that sin can pass from generation to generation. The Scripture talks about the sins of the fathers uh, passing on to the children. But I believe also that righteousness can pass from generation to generation. That when we model a lifestyle of the Word of God, uh, that we pass it on to our kids and to our grandkids. Uh, the next point I want to make is that there's a battle to leave the next generation behind. There's always a battle for the next generation. Why? The enemy, quite frankly, wants your kids. And for many of you, you've made a commitment and you're dedicated. And, you know, I mean, I, I've been living for Christ since I was 17. I'm not going to tell you how long that is, but it's a long time. I'm not giving up now. You know, I'm committed. I'm committed to finish my course. But even when you're committed, how many know sometimes the enemy will try to get into your kids or your grandkids? And, and mess with them that you, the enemy is after your kids and there's a battle for the next generation. It's pretty clear in Scripture here in Exodus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read this story from Exodus. We're jumping into the, the middle of the plagues. And so, of course, the Lord told Moses to stand before Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. And so he brings Moses and Aaron before him in verse 8. He says, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, Pharaoh said, Go and worship the Lord your God. And then he says this, but who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and our daughters, our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. Listen to me, folks. The demons don't get together and say, let's go easy on these three-year-olds. Pharaoh was after the little ones, and it wasn't that he wanted to start a Sunday school or a charter school, that he cared about kids. He's thinking about his future slaves. And then he said this, I can see through your evil plan never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of his palace. Pharaoh was willing to let the men go worship as long as they left the children behind. Pharaoh wanted to hang on to his future slaves. So the point I want to make out of this is that there are forces outside of you that want your kids. And those of us that are parents, that are grandparents, there's, you know, to me, uh, right now, my favorite people in all the world are my two granddaughters and my grandson. You know, I mean, I just, they melt my heart. You know, they don't, you know, I think uh, grandparents were put on this planet for kids to practice leadership on. 
because grandparents are easy to influence if you haven't figured that out yet. I heard somebody once say, you know, when I became a grandparent that, uh, you know, it's so great being a grandparent. If I knew it was so good, I'd just skip the kids and gone straight to the grandkids. <laughs> and I agree with that. But there's forces outside of us. There's an enemy. The culture is stacked against your kids. And we need to recognize all that, you know, when I was in high school, there was, the, for the most part, there was alcohol and there was marijuana. Now, there was, uh, there was cocaine, but that was a rich person's high. Nobody could, none of my friends could afford cocaine. And then they invented this thing called crack where they made cocaine affordable. Instead of a $100 high, it was a $10 high. And the world keeps reinventing drugs and making them stronger and more sophisticated and more addictive and cheaper. Why is it cheaper? So kids can buy it. So our students can buy it. The doctors will prescribe it and the insurance company will pay for it. And we live in a culture that's wired that way. And sometimes it looks at it and it's just like, it almost seems like there's no hope. As we look around, our kids are going to school today. You know, when we went to school, nobody was concerned that a classmate was going to pick up a gun and start shooting us. We had bullies. <laughs> we had kids that said mean things. But school, which was a place of safety and a place of, you know, yeah, you had to do homework, but there was fun stuff too. And we looked forward to going to school. We looked forward to hanging out with our friends. We didn't go where there was a spirit of fear. Why is that happening to our schools? What's going on? There are forces that want your kids and they want my kids. And not only that, even our homes right now, which should be a place of safety, because of the internet and all that, the, the, and there's pedophiles that are seeking our kids. It's crazy. The good news is that God has a promise. Regardless of how dark the world is, the words in this book are more powerful. Some people say, some people say it's the 21st century. You still reading the Bible? Boy, that's an old book. It still works. It still has powerful. It's more powerful than anything the enemy can create. Looking at our text, Galatians 6, 7, you will always harvest what you plant. What do you, kind of harvest do you want? Do you want an eternal harvest in your kids? You need to plant eternal word into your kids. And you can do that in two ways. Number one, you can do that by just planting the word of God into your kids. Now, I know this because I've been doing this for years. I know that most parents, the vast majority of parents, do not do this. See, the answer to all these things is putting the Word of God in their kids, and yet the vast majority of parents do not have a regular devotion time where they're strategically, systematically planting the Word of God into their children and into their students. And the reason that I know that is that I ask our kids. Here's what I ask them. Everywhere I've ever been, I ask this question. How many of you read the Bible every day or your parents read the Bible to you every day? And when I ask that question, somewhere between 10 and 20% will raise their hand, which means 80 to 90% aren't doing it. Now, parents don't do it for several reasons. Sometimes they say, I'm too busy, which really is just an excuse because, you know, cut a half hour out of Instagram. 
you know? Put the smartphone away for half an hour, 15 minutes. But, and so that's the thing about the Word, is you do it by faith, and it's an eternal thing, and then you trust the Holy Spirit to, uh, to put it into their heart and to cause it to grow. The last point that I want to make is this, is that as a church community, we need to invest in the next generation through our Redwood faith. As you know, we're getting ready to launch Connect Groups here in a couple weeks in a series a step closer. And I want to encourage you, let's not leave the kids behind. If parents need Redwood faith, kids need Redwood faith. Our students need Redwood faith. It's, it's, a, it's a community thing. It's critical that kids at this age have another voice in their life, that they have another leader, that they have somebody that's speaking into them. And are you willing to be that leader? Maybe it's a 16-year-old. It's amazing how much a 10-year-old will look up to a 16-year-old, how much influence you will have on them. Because, you know, when I, uh, I remember when I turned 50, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I remember the day that I turned 50, and I thought, what does a 50-year-old kids pastor look like? And I was just kind of thinking about that, and I figured out, you know what, I don't have to be cool. I'm 50, you know. I'm just, I'm not cool. And I'm okay with it. I'm older than 50. But here's, here's the only thing, I've got to have cool people around me. And I leverage their coolness. So that's why we, we have a lot of students and we have a lot of millennials. And I pour, my heart is to pour into them and to, and, to, and to see them grow and then trust the gift of God in our students and in our, our college kids and our parents. Trust the gift of God in them to, to minister to the other kids. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I want to I conclude our message today with this couple thoughts. What if a big dream of mine is that every one of us invested in the next generation somehow? You can speak life over the next generation. There's a lot of death out there, right? But what if every person in Emmanuel chose to speak life, not just over the kids in our church, but over the kids in our community? What if we prayed life into the next generation? What if we beat back the devil who's coming after the next generation. We said, as a church, we're gonna stand our ground. We're not gonna let it happen on our watch. Not on my watch. What if we just did what we can from where we are? Everyone can give life one way or another. You can pray it, you can speak it, and you can serve it. Pastor Mark mentioned that there's opportunities available at all of our campuses for kids ministry, but it's not like gonna take your life. Can you do twice a month? We'll train you, get you involved. Can you do it, get involved in one way or another? There's different levels of commitment. And we'll do the training, but hey, don't just sit back and let Pharaoh take them. Hello. But overcome the Pharaoh voice in your own life that's preventing you from stepping in and believing what God can do in the next generation. But all of us can pray, and all of us can do something from where we are for the next generation. If we plant the seed, Galatians says, we will reap a harvest. And I'm believing as a church that we're not just a church for people to come and stay. We're here to reach people who will grow in faith, amen, and discover their life of purpose, and it need, we need everybody. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.